All right. Good morning, everybody. Good to see all of you. Welcome everybody here today. It's been a great time of singing to get started. Before we go to Second Peter, I want to ask you to take your Bibles and open up to Psalm chapter 13 and find verse 6. I wanted to take a moment just to remind you why we do the things that we do in our assemblies on Sunday morning, Sunday night as well. It's very similar to what we do here on Sunday morning, but we, our, our, our services are pretty simple, and really if there are three words to describe New Life Baptist Church and what we do around here, it's three S's, I believe, we're, we're simple, um, we want to be simple, we want to be, um, um, goodness, <laughs> one, one of, the last one is sound, but for the life of me, I can't remember the second one right now. I've told y'all what they, some people what they are. What'd you say? No. Simple. What was it? No, that's not it either. I've told people this, but now I can't remember. I didn't really have it in my notes to say this this morning. So anyways, that's what I get. Um, um, so anyways, let's move on. Uh, I do want to remind y'all about the uh, the worship ser- service and uh, why we do what we do, uh, we want to, you know, read scripture, we sing, we pray. Those are basically the three parts of our service. Unless we are uh, practicing the ordinances on a Sunday morning, the Lord's Supper and baptism. And, um, you know, we have scripture reading. We have an Old Testament scripture reading and um, New Testament scripture reading. And, you know, like some of our memory verses that have been going out are reminding us. Isaiah 30 verse 5, for instance, every word of God is pure he is a shield to those who put their trust in him and then uh, what is it isaiah 40 verse 8 the grass withers the flower fades but the word of our god stands forever and then psalm 119 89 forever O lord your word is settled in heaven and then isaiah 55 11 everybody's got that one this week right uh, so shall my word be that goes forth out of my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but shall accomplish what I please and prosper in the thing for which I sent it. So we believe that even just the pure reading of the word is very powerful. J.C. Ryle, a, um, a man of God in Britain many years ago, has written many books, and I recommend them to you. But he was actually converted and while he was in church at the reading of Scripture the, from Ephesians chapter 2. And the reader that day just uh, took time and read carefully through Ephesians 2 verses 8 and 9, or at least verse 8. And as he was reading through that, it, it was that, at that time that J.C. Ryle uh, was converted. He came to believe in the gospel, embracing the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ by faith. And then he went on to be used mightily by the Lord. So we believe that the Scripture read, the Scripture preached, and the Scripture prayed is important. But then we come to singing, and I was reminded this week of the importance of us as a church being able to sing. This is not a performance for the people up here. And that's what I'm so grateful for those who lead the singing here at New Life is they do not want it to be a performance that's about them. Uh, if it's anything, it's us performing for the Lord. It's us uh, singing and ministering to the Lord through our singing. And that's why I want to ask you to turn to Psalm 13. Because <clears throat> here, I want to remind you from three different psalms why we sing. 
Now, a couple years ago, as I was reading through the Bible, I wanted to pay attention to to this topic of why do we sing. So I have a list in the back of my Bible that has several references, so it wasn't hard for me to come up with these because I had them written down because I paid attention before reading through. But if you'll look at Psalm 13, verse 5, But I have trusted in your mercy. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because He has dealt bountifully with me. And that's why that's one reason why we sing. The Lord has dealt bountifully with us by saving us through the gospel of Jesus Christ, His death, burial, and resurrection. Psalm 33, verses 1 through 5. That is for all those who are in Christ. You can know the gospel uh, without believing the gospel. And we, we encourage every man, woman, boy, and girl to embrace by faith the gospel of Jesus Christ, the one who suffered and bled on the cross for sinners. In Psalm 33, it says, Rejoice there in verse 1. Rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous, for praise from the upright is beautiful. Praise the Lord with the harp. Make melody to Him with an instrument of ten strings. Sing to Him a new song. Play skillfully with a shout of joy. Now verse 4. For the word of the Lord is right, and all His work is done in truth. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. So we sing and praise Him and rejoice because the word of the Lord is right. And then the last one, Psalm 40, verse 2. And I hope every person here can say this about our sin condition and being delivered from the penalty of our sin, the just penalty of our sin. I hope that every person can say with the psalmist here that you have been brought out of a horrible pit. We see in verse 1, I waited patiently for the Lord, and He inclined to me and heard my cry. He also brought me up out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock and established my steps. Okay, so that talks about what the Lord has done. what He has done, and then what the Lord's done in response. And then in verse 3, He has put a new song in my mouth, praise to our God. Many will see it in fear and will trust in the Lord. So I wanted to at least show you those uh, scriptures this morning about why we sing. It is very important that we sing songs uh, here in church that you all can sing. Uh, we're, we're not interested in singing things that sound great, but yet the congregations can't sing along. So it's about us worshiping the Lord together, and uh, that is something that we put a priority on, and we'll continue to do so by the grace of God. The last point there that really uh, is a part of our service is prayer. And with that, I will I'll say I'm grateful for our men who've been reading the Scripture and praying on Sunday mornings because that opportunity for you is valuable and that opportunity for us as a church is valuable. And even in that prayer time, that is a wonderful time to minister because you have the opportunity, uh, our men do, to pray Scripture and to pray the truths of God's Word, which are very powerful because the Word of the Lord is um, powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joint and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. 
So that scripture, the scripture, the word of God, whether it's read, preached, prayed, or sung, is powerful. So we want our services to be uh, saturated with the Bible because ultimately the Bible points us to one person. And who is that? The Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said in John 5, you search the scriptures for in them you think you have life, but it is they that speak of me. So we want to never miss Jesus as the point of Scripture, whether, whether it's from the end in Genesis 1-1 or the amen at the end of Revelation 22. All of it is pointing us to Christ. If you turn in your Bibles to first, Second Peter, 2 Peter chapter 1, I always want to say First Peter. I think I'm going to start trying to say 2 Peter, 2 Peter and chapter 1. 2 Peter and 1 Peter, <clears throat> maybe that'll get me out of that habit. So today I'm going to share with you a message entitled, um, The Diligent Disciple Maker. I don't have control over this yet, Grant, so if you could help me out there. 2 Peter chapter 1, I'm going to read one verse, and that verse, verse 12, says uh, this, For this reason I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things. Though you know and are established in the present truth. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. As the psalmist said, Lord, unto you I lift up my eyes. And Lord, today unto you we lift up our eyes. You who dwell in the heavens. Behold, as the eyes of servants look to the hand of their masters, as the eyes of a maid to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God until He has mercy on us. Lord, today we need Your mercy. We need to hear Your Word. We need to be transformed by it. Lord, we need You to accomplish just what You intend to do from Your Word. We thank You, Father, that You've promised that in Scripture that your word will not return to you void, but it will accomplish what you please and prosper in the thing for which you sent it. So to the best of our ability, God, today, we make ourselves available to be impacted by your word. For any of us who may be distracted, have other concerns, whatever it might be, Lord, I pray that I pray that you would use your word in our lives today, that it would cut through all of those things, and that we would be transformed by it again. I pray in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay, so the diligent disciple maker, as you see there in 2 Peter 1, and we're just going to start here by sort of looking through uh, this verse, trying to pay careful attention to it, and then moving on from there. We see that he says, for this reason, I will not be negligent. Negligent means to be careless. Uh, If you're careless about something, you could sort of care less about that thing. But Peter says that he will not be negligent. It's just the opposite of what he has been instructing his readers in because he's been telling them to be diligent. Do you all remember that? In verse 5 and then in verse 10, he says it again, be even more diligent. So he's told them to be diligent. And now he says about himself that he will not be negligent. The Bible says some things about diligence in Romans twelve eight. It says that he who leads is to lead with diligence. In Romans twelve eleven to the 
church, it says, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. And then Proverbs 13, 4, the soul of the lazy man desires and has nothing, but the soul of the diligent shall be made rich. And think about that, not in regard to having worldly possessions and wealth, but think about that in regard to being rich spiritually. And it says there that the lazy man desires and has nothing, but the soul of the diligent shall be made rich. Frankly, to be quite honest with you this morning and direct, some of you do not grow in your walk with the Lord. You do not grow in your relationship with Jesus and you're in the same place that you were a few years ago because you are not diligent in your walk with the Lord. You are lazy. And the Bible tells you here that the lazy man desires and has nothing. You will not grow apart from diligence uh, in the spiritual disciplines and those things which we've seen in this chapter already. And Peter knows something about the necessity of being diligent because he himself had to be restored after falling, after stumbling, and because he denied Christ three times. And there in John 21, 15 through 19, that we'll look at sometime, uh, he was restored three times by the Lord to feed the Lord's sheep. And that's what he's doing. He's feeding the sheep as he is writing these uh, letters, as he's given this instruction to the church. He's fulfilling what Jesus commissioned him to do and restored him to do. So he says there that I will not be negligent to remind you always. And we'll notice here as we move on through this later that there's a real emphasis here on being reminded. Um, So we'll tie all that together in a later sermon to remind you always of these things. We've already looked at these things. If you want to take a look at that or listen to that and from our previous messages, you're welcome to do that. So I won't spend much time there. And then he says, though, you know, and are established in the present truth. So these uh, hearers, readers that Peter has written to, they know the truth and they are established in the truth. And we, again, we'll say more about that later as well. But we can uh, glean from what he has said here in verse 4 that everything he said leaving up, leading up to this time, or everything leading up to this verse, uh, is true. Because they stand in the truth, they know the truth, and they are established in it. And the things that he says just line up with the truth that they have already been given. Now, as a diligent disciple maker, what we want to learn here from Peter is that he was seeking to be diligent in order to make diligent disciples. All right. He says, I will not be negligent to remind you of these things. He's told them to be diligent. So in other words, he's seeking to be diligent so that his disciples will be diligent. Those that he is instructing will be diligent. That's what we're aiming for as well. We want to be diligent disciples personally so that we might make diligent disciples. Matthew 28, Great Commission. Y'all remember what it says? Go therefore and what? Make disciples. That's right. And Peter is going forth and making disciples. And I've simply added that word, diligent disciple maker. All right, let's go to the next, next slide. Uh, here we see that what Peter has taught, 
what Peter has taught. And there's going to be three things here. We'll go ahead and put those up on the screen. The first one is the Christian has a precious faith. We've seen that in verses 1 through 4. We also see here in these verses that the Christian has to be diligent. And then lastly, in verses 8 through 11, we see that the Christian has benefit from diligence. Now, I hope you remember these. If you look there at verse 1, Peter writes saying, Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ to those who have obtained like precious faith. Did you know that your faith is only as precious as the object of your faith? Now, you might view a a new vehicle or a new pair of shoes as precious, or you might view silver and gold or money as precious. But Peter is presenting to us here someone who is far greater uh, in value and much more precious than any of these. If you look over at 1 Peter chapter 1, in 1 Peter 1 verse 7, here he's talking about the faith that the, that these, that the church has. And in verse 7, just to try to cut to the chase here for the sake of time, but he says that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You see, that faith that the church has, that faith that you have, is more precious than gold because gold perishes, but the faith that you have will not. And you go over to chapter 2. Here, we'll see him using this word precious again. It seems to be a favorite one of him. In verse 4, this is talking about Jesus, but it says, "...coming to him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious." That's Jesus. And then in verse 6, "...therefore it is also contained in the Scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious." And he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Jesus is that chief cornerstone. And then we go down to verse 7. It says, Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious. But to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. So your faith is only as precious as the object of your faith. And I hope today that you have a faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. The one who, like we see at the end of 1 Peter 1, is the Lamb of God who was without spot and without blemish. And we through Him have received um, a new life that is incorruptible through the Word of God. The song, the, the hymn, Why Do I Sing About Jesus, says this. Deep in my heart, there's a gladness. Jesus has saved me from sin. Praise to his name, what a savior, cleansing without and within. Why do I sing about Jesus? Why is he precious to me? He is my Lord and my savior. Dying, he set me free. Moving from there, we see the diligence that is necessary. The Christian has to be diligent in verses 5 through 7. 
As we quickly review what Peter has already taught in verses five through seven, we've probably belabored this enough already, but we've seen there that to our faith, we are not to just be content with simply having faith, but that faith is to be something that is to be diligently added to, to be supplemented by virtue, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness and love. These things are added to it. We may come to that first one. We may say virtue. Well, that means excellence. That means goodness. But what are examples of that? I'll give you an example of that. There was a um, football player, Damar Hamlin, who fell in cardiac with cardiac arrest probably about a month ago or six weeks ago on a Monday night football game. And he was basically dead there on the field and he had to be revived twice. And he is alive and recovering now. But there was a... a um, commentator on ESPN, and I don't, I'm not exactly sure when that all unfolded, but I guess it was during the game, right at that moment. But Dan Orlowski stopped right there on national television. He prayed to God on behalf of Damar Hamlin, right there uh, for all the world to hear and to see. And it was a pretty decent prayer from what I could tell as far as it being scripturally sound and, and toward uh, the Lord God. So uh, that prayer was looked upon favorably. It was looked at as a good thing. It was virtuous. And you see, we're to add to our faith virtue. Virtue, virtuous things can be praying. It can be reading of scripture. It can be attending to the house of God. It can be taking part in family worship at home. The reading of scripture and prayer at home. All of these different things and then the living out of our faith in public in other ways. So we are to be diligent. But then we are, lastly, Christ has, um, the Christian has benefit from diligence. And we've seen what that is. I have another slide that's going to cover all that for you. We'll go ahead and put that up there. That next slide. And uh, don't try to write all this down, okay? I can send it to you if it's, or it's right there in your Bible either way. But uh, here's what will happen for the Christian who is diligent. He will not be barren, not be unfruitful, short-sighted even to blindness, will not forget the previous cleansing from sin, and will not stumble. Because he says there in verse 10 at the end of it, if you do these things, you will never stumble. And now for the Christian who uh, is diligent, he will do this. He will make he or she will make his her calling and election sure will be supplied abundant entrance into the kingdom of Jesus Christ that is all laid out here in verses 1 through 11 the things that we've covered in this summary of what Peter has taught now here's what we'll do for the remainder of our, of our time we'll go to the next slide and Roman numeral number two, what Peter was taught. As I was reading through the New Testament, part of it this week in the Gospel of Matthew, I realized it kind of kind of got slapped across the face by it. But hey, some of the things that Jesus taught are very similar to what Peter was teaching. So that's what we're going to do for the remainder of our time. We're going to look at three parables very quickly. And I want you to see it 
with your own two eyes. Let's put those up on the screen. We'll see the first one, how the, the potential impact of the parables on Peter. First one is this, the parable of the sower and the seed from Mark, Matthew 13. The second one is the parable of the tares. And then last, we see the parable of the talents. Let's turn in our Bibles to Matthew 13. Now, Peter is going to talk about the ministry of Jesus in a few verses as we're working through 2 Peter 1. He's going to talk about how Jesus told him about his decease, how Peter was going to die. And he is also going to reflect upon the the time when he saw Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. So we can conclude from what Peter's about to say that the ministry of Jesus had a significant impact on Peter's life and on Peter's thinking. And when we come to these parables today, I'd like to encourage us to evaluate the tone and the themes of these parables in light of what Peter writes in 2 Peter. All right, so Matthew 13, Matthew 13. I'll get there. I think y'all have already found it. If you found it this morning, would you say amen? amen? All right, so we'll try to move through these pretty quickly. I know we're getting late already. Uh, in Matthew 13, let's start at verse 1. This is the parable of the, of the sower. It says, On the same day Jesus went out of the house and sat by the sea, and great multitudes were gathered together to him, so that he got into a boat and sat, and the whole multitude stood on the shore. Then he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds came and devoured them. Some fell on stony places where they did not have much earth, and they immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked, choked them. Verse 8. But others fell on good ground and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So you've noticed already in this parable four different types of ground. You have the wayside, you have the stony places, you have the thorns, and then you have the good ground. Now, in verse 18, Jesus explains this parable to them. Now, we don't see it here, but in Mark's gospel, Jesus tells us that this is the most important parable out of all of the parables. Because he says there, if you don't understand this parable, how will you understand any of the parables? So this parable is crucial to our understanding of all of the parables. So we look here at verse 18. He gives the explanation. Therefore, hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is he who received seed by the wayside. Verse 20. But he who received the seed on stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, 
but endures only for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. Verse 22. Now, he who received seed among the thorns is he who hears the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becomes unfruitful. The word unfruitful here is the same word for unfruitful that Peter uses in 2 Peter chapter 1. And then verse 23. But he who receives seed on the good ground is he who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and produces some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. I read that this week and I was like, man, that's a, that's a lot like what Peter's saying in Second Peter. Because he's telling them there that if they are diligent to add to this precious faith that they have, then they will not be barren or unfruitful. So in other words, they're going to be doing what they should do and they are going to produce fruit. And that is a sign of seed falling on good ground. Now, the other three prior to that, most interpreters would say they were not truly converted. They heard the gospel, but they did not endure in the gospel. Now, let's go to the next one. That's the, the parable of the tares in verse 36. We're basically reading this, but I want to point out one thing to you in particular at the end. Not giving you a whole lot of exposition or interpretation on this because of the time. But in verse 36, it says, Then Jesus, went, then Jesus sent the multitude away and went to the house, into the house, and his disciples came to him, saying, Explain to us the parable of the tares of the field. He, and we're, we're going right to the uh, explanation. He answered and said to them, He who sows the good seed is the Son of Man. The field is the word, the good seeds are the sons of the kingdom, but the tares are the sons of the wicked one. The enemy who sowed them is the devil, the harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are the angels. Therefore, as the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, we're at verse 40, so it will be at the end of this age. The Son of Man will send out His angels, and they will gather out of His kingdom all things that offend and those who practice lawlessness. In verse 42, And will cast them into the furnace of fire, there will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So there is this obvious difference here between the tares and the wheat that look a great deal alike early on, but then later prove what they are. In verse 43, we notice that the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. And so we're reminded of 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 11. For so uh, will be uh, uh, entrance will be abundantly provided for you into the kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And now let's go to chapter 25 of Matthew. We'll conclude here. Matthew 25. As we see this important parable, 
uh, there are many parables that we could look at, but these I've chosen because the those in chapter 13 uh, jumped out to me in the reading of Scripture this week. But then chapter 25 as well comes to mind and we'll look at it. Verse 14. I will um, only read portions of this because of its length. At verse 14, it says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country, who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents, and to another two, and to another one, to each according to his own ability. And immediately he went on a journey. Then he who had received the five talents went and traded with them and made another five talents. And likewise, he who had received two gained two more also. But in verse 18, he who had received one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. So here's what happens. He comes to the one who had five talents first, and we see what happens in verse 25 or verse 21. After he learns that he had gained five more talents, it says, His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Now in verse 22, the one with two talents came. And the response to him in verse 23 is this. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many, many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. And then that last servant comes in verse 24, who did not act wisely with what he had been given. And then we see the response in verse 26. But his Lord answered and said to him, You wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I would have received back my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For everyone who has, more will be given and he will have abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. And he says there in verse 30, And cast the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now if you will turn back to Second Peter, we'll end here. Second Peter 1. In light of that, those who have precious faith in verse 5 of 2 Peter 1, it says to Peter 1 verse 5, but also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. 
For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Will you today commit yourself to being a diligent disciple of Jesus? Because that is what Jesus required. And that's what Peter is passing along to us. And will you seek to live your life to make diligent disciples of Jesus Christ? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word again today. It is powerful in our lives. And I pray, Father, that it would be. Oh, Lord, I pray that your word that has gone out today will find in each of our hearts good ground and produce much fruit, some 30, some 60, some 100 fold. But Lord God, may it produce a fruit in our lives. And I pray, Father, that we will be careful how we hear today. We thank you for the gospel of our Lord Jesus that saves sinners. It gives us a home eternally in heaven with you in the presence of God and of the Lamb. Thank you, God, for what you have done. And I thank you for that precious faith. We treasure it. And I pray, Lord, that we will handle it and not be negligent, but be diligent in it. In Jesus' name, amen.